episode four, Adventure of a Lifetime. Grace and peace to you, friends. When we are just getting past hard times, those moments of normalcy, of excitement, can feel like a relief. I hurt my back last summer, and nothing would get close to soothing it, like heat or ice. I would do direct-to-skin sometimes for immediate relief to the detriment of my skin, but I knew that relief was likely to come soon. I noticed that the pain pills would make me fuzzy-headed like I was in this half-asleep state with the same level of pain. Pain is such a personal thing, and I don't think there are sufficient words to describe it. For me, there was just these incredible feelings of loss of control of feeling physically and mentally beaten, terribly demoralized. Maybe because of that, I don't like to talk about it. When people would describe their pain to me before all this, I'd sometimes go back to my mental file of how I myself experienced pain just to try to relate. I'd heard of nerve pain before, but I couldn't imagine it being worse than childbirth, a broken leg, and so on. My lack of experience in this specific pain made me less compassionate, I think. My thought was often centered around my own ability to make myself do something even if I didn't want to and I'm sure I projected that on other people and maybe was less compassionate than I could be. Nerve pain stopped me in my tracks but since I'm getting a bachelor's in wisdom every day is college and I'm learning. Learning is not this passive thing we consume like streaming our favorite show. It's an active process and it hurts sometimes. I remember when we were teaching our youngest son to ride a bike. Anytime the bicycle would lean to the side, he'd just try to stop right there, legs down. Who cares about Newton's law of motion, am I right? I was pretty sure he was going to break a leg. My son would get so frustrated and cry, why did God have to create gravity? I hear you, son. Gravity is not all it's cracked up to be. Those difficult moments evolved into success. And the wonderful freedom of being a kid riding his bike, breeze hitting your face. It was so very difficult to get to that point. He learned a new skill, but he also learned that he can do difficult things. Me too. I'm learning that I can also do difficult things and new skills like compassion without a frame of reference. So when our friend Moses starts to have a sense of normalcy in his life, we can be hypnotized by the cadence of the account. This circumstance happened, and then this action, and then the result, which of course worked out in the end, it seems almost fictional because the pieces all seem to unfold perfectly. We have the benefit of Moses looking back on his life in the biblical account, which took place about 3,500 years ago. The Bible is often overlooked as a source of wisdom for everyday life. Many of us are like heat-seeking missiles looking for any source to help us live an amazing life but maybe ignore the truths of the Bible. The self-help movement would invite Moses to look to himself for wisdom, for guidance, for a true north. What that means is put your faith in yourself. They would say the universe has your back and wants you to succeed. This same universe seemingly ignores Darwin and survival of the fittest, except when they talk about the evolution and adaptation we inherited from Neanderthal cavemen. The logic is a polar opposite conclusion and doesn't fit together, but it doesn't matter in the self-help world. Self-help gurus who practice and teach wisdom from the dead might give this advice to Moses. Surround yourself with winners. Work on your vision board. Operate from vision. I'm sure many of you have heard that advice before. Remember in the previous episode, Moses had everything he needed to be successful, but he was running for his life with the clothes on his back. 
When you're looking for a formula for a successful life, the Bible makes its intentions clear. In John 10.10, God's Son, Jesus Christ, said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He wants you to have a full, abundant life, an adventure of a lifetime. And we are told over and over how to have that life. To some Christians, that may seem like a gross oversimplification. So I ask for a little grace as I unpack these concepts. Before Jesus Christ lived, there was a guy named Moses, and we can learn so much from him about life, leadership, people, decisions, God, all things we wrestle with in life. Let's look at Moses a little further and understand the circumstances that led up to that one time he was contented. So back to the desert with Moses. He'd previously wanted to be a leader of his people. He felt equipped and possibly even called at this time. Having been adopted into the life of a prince from a family of slavery, he had two moms who loved him and poured into his life in completely different ways. At 40 years old, he dips his toe in this new world of leading his own people. He fails big time, fleeing for his life in the desert, traveling in excess of 400 miles. But when you're called, you can't even stop yourself because you have this internal drive to do the thing. For Moses, that was to lead, which means also to protect. And he intervenes appropriately when he sees injustice being done as he happened upon a well, a situation, a family. When you approach life as a school, you're in college, you're getting a bachelor's in wisdom. I don't think this was Moses's mindset, though, which was focused on fear, fleeing, on hiding. This family he helped became his new family. And he eventually married the priest prince's daughter, Zipporah, and they had children together. This life was not the royal life he was accustomed to living, but Moses says he was content. The priest prince wasn't very respected. We know this because the shepherds harassed his daughters at the well, and it was a regular occurrence. It seems like Moses had found an outlet to be helpful, to do good, and appreciate a good, peaceful life. It must have been delicious to have a life of quiet peace after such turmoil and strain. Days slipped into months and months into years, and all that calling and purpose business seemed like a life of failure. When Moses's son Gershom was born 30-ish years into this life, we see the past is heavy on his mind in the meaning of his son's name. Gershom means, I have been a stranger in a strange land. That's what his kid's name meant. Here in the land of Midian, he was relatively successful contented. He spent this next chapter of his life trying to live an identity that wasn't his. Moses says he was content in his new life, but I don't think he was truly content. I believe he was stuck in a mindset some might call coulda, woulda, shoulda. If this had happened, I could have done that instead of this. I wish I would have done this instead of that. I should have done this instead of that. Moses was living as a free man in Midian, but he was a prisoner to his past for a very long time. The bruises and the scabs from his mistakes had physically healed, but the past weighed heavy on his mind. He grew up as a prince of Egypt, and he was banished, bitterly humiliated in front of the people he sought to lead. I think something changed in him in that state. He became more humble. Lord knows he needed that, but it took a huge hit to his confidence. I'm telling you about Moses' life, but I could very well be saying the same thing about mine. Maybe that's why Moses' story resonates so much to a recovering perfectionist who's made plenty of painful errors in judgment. A type A that's just tired of being tired. 
When it feels like you've run away from problems or didn't address them directly or simply you didn't get to explain yourself. Maybe in order to live more fully, we have to release our need to control what people think about our situation. As we've been talking extensively about our thought life, we also need to come to the point where we can reframe our thoughts. We can look at our circumstance and allow other facts to come in and not stuck on one way of looking at our situation. Moses's thought was obviously stuck on the fleeing. I had to leave. I'm a stranger here. I don't belong. And honestly, maybe Moses didn't belong. He had another calling on his life. But facts like that don't matter when you are so fixated on one way of looking at things. Like for me, when you work at a large organization, so much of the knowledge you gain is about how to best work in that large organization. It's not really transferable to other organizations. And as I wrestled with my own skills, my knowledge of leaving one job and perhaps going into another role, that middle ground of not really understanding my skill set kept me thinking about the past. But in order to thrive in a new role, a new organization, I have to let go of all that institutional knowledge and embrace a new journey. I think that's probably why some people struggle in leaving an organization because they've gained so much vacation time. They have so much job knowledge. They don't want to go through the painful steps of having to learn a new job. It's just easier to accept the status quo. But if you believe that God has a calling on your life, truly an adventure of a lifetime before you, you can't just sit back in the status quo. You have to keep seeking and putting yourself out there and taking appropriate risks to see how God is going to use you, how he's going to produce fruit in your life, how you're going to be part of greater things. And that's not to say you just run from your problems and you go from one job to the other. But the thing is, sometimes we just accept the status quo. We do not accept or embrace greater things. Even in situations of, quote, greater things, there's problems. There are struggles. There can be strife. That is not the signal. Okay, let's get back to Moses. Sometime later, Moses has a wonderful and personal encounter with the Hebrew God, and Moses argues with him. Yes, argue. In this argument, Moses has with God, Moses is told in very basic terms, don't worry, I'll be with you. We see a very real and tender moment in this epic guy's heart that God's direct statement, don't worry, I'll be with you. It wasn't enough. Wow. I can totally relate. Something as simple as me mulling over the concept of this podcast for a very long while, but also rehearsing my thoughts of my flaws and shortcomings that would interfere with my perceived effectiveness. The Bible has been so valuable in helping me sort through my thoughts enough just to get started anyway. Friends, this is exciting news. You don't have to operate on autopilot. Your thoughts are not automatic and fixed and unchangeable. You don't have to continue in rehashing the coulda, woulda, shouldas of your past. You can live your life in a state of grace that you extend to yourself and then are more equipped to extend to others. You can be humble and confident. If you see the Bible as only a history text, you are missing so much. If you see the Bible as simply a bunch of do's and don'ts, you're missing so much. 
this book has so much to tell us about God, of course, but of man as well. Thousands of years of people walking in relationship and leaning into a higher calling. Now, in this personal moment of God appearing to Moses, audibly talking to Moses, and Moses is just beginning to use the model we see over and over in the Bible of CPR, confess, profess, repent, which I discussed last episode. So exciting to see CPR in action with Moses. Moses starts off right with confession. Who am I to do this life of calling? In other words, I can't do it. If that was an excuse enough, Moses continues, I don't know you well enough. They won't believe me. I'm really bad at speaking with a speech impediment. To his credit, Moses had ready answers for his conversation with God. <laughs> so many times I wish I'd said this or that in a heated, important conversation. But to Moses' detriment, he'd rehearsed his failures, his shortcomings for how long? And it zapped his effectiveness, his drive, his calling. After Moses has a moment with God, it looks like he doesn't complete the CPR method. He stops at confess, but doesn't go to profess or repent until later. Moses is just starting to have a relationship with God, so I don't think he knows to do profess and repent just yet. It's okay. He's definitely going to get there, but Moses isn't ready. All he knows is there's a calling on his life, and it seems impossible but a miraculous thing happens, so he is willing to try with the help of a friend. The reality is God can do the whole thing by himself. He's able, but he chooses instead to partner with a willing heart. Later in the text, Moses professed to his biological brother, Aaron. Professing was easy. He just told Aaron what happened, how God was working in his life. And then he went and spoke to the elders of the people of Israel, professing some more. Finally, we don't see where Moses says he repented, but he did the thing. He started the journey, the hard things to walk in his calling. That looks like baby step repenting to me. A U-turn happened in his life. We can't miss the magnitude of the struggle Moses had in his thought life. Egypt Moses thought he could do it before, but that guy, the guy he was before, no longer existed. You see, friends, that's the anti-self-help life. You can look within, manifest, fix your energy, get the crystals, horoscopes, whatever the stars are telling you about your life and what it's going to be like. You can pump yourself up, level up with massive action and crush it based on your own motivation, relying on yourself. But the anti-self-help life invites you to look to God, look to his instruction and his job manual for mankind to live the best life, a life of peace and passion and purpose far beyond our limited view of what life can be. The lessons of life can be so difficult, but we make them so much more difficult with our thought life. If we're going to play the game of coulda, woulda, shoulda with Moses' life, maybe we could give him the advice to just chill out and enjoy the life where he's at at the moment instead of being in the past or being in the future. We have to be so careful about the people we put on pedestals in our lives. Moses was an epic guy. There's lots of epic people in the world and in the Bible. They are also just people who struggle like you and me. We can learn so much from them. We can call this series finished now that we know that Moses settled into a life of normalcy, contentedness, as a trade-off to the epic life he knew he was called to live. That contentment was a momentary gift before the ride started to get wild again. I want to dig into some of the thought life issues in the next episode. 
since that's something every human struggles to manage. I touched on it a little bit last episode, but this really deserves a thorough look. Join me next time as we come to understand the wisdom of the Bible, that it can help us in our everyday life, in our families, our businesses, and our communities to live an adventure of a lifetime. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and post about it on your social media. And please leave a rating and a review. To catch the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at AOA Lifetime. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Music title Soul Walking by Juanitos, used by the Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive.